Mother's Day is one of those days that I like to, um, I like to kind of, kind of step away a little bit from our study of where we're at. And of course, here uh, currently we're in the Book of Romans, finishing up the Book of Romans, and I'm still praying about where to go next. But because it's Mother's Day, I always like to do. Uh, a teaching on at least kind of a quick overview. It's, I think it's really hard to do, but a quick overview on the life of one of the women in the Bible. And so, if you would turn to me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. I just want to look at a couple of verses in here. And one of the women who were listed in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, is a woman named Rahab. I've never taught on Rahab before. Matter of fact, I thought about this this morning. I don't know if I even remember hearing anyone teach about Rahab. Uh, and I, don't, I, I think she's an incredible person to learn from. There was just this little problem with Rahab that we see here in the New Testament. It's in the book of James. She's Described this way as well in verse 31. Well, I'll read verse 30. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, but she had received the spies with peace. It's talking about a story that we will probably touch on briefly this morning in the book of Joshua chapter 2. But Rahab was a prostitute. And so this morning for Mother's Day, I want to talk about a prostitute. A woman who had, I know it wasn't you, yeah, why are you shaking your head? (laughs) And you, never mind. But I want to talk about a prostitute because the, the thing is, is this is a woman who demonstrated incredible faith and because of the demonstration of that faith she was able to save herself and to save her entire household if you remember the story when the children of israel went into the promised land where was the first um, city that they went into capture it was jericho and they marched around the city of jericho for seven days and the last day, they marched around the city for seven times, and then they blew a trumpet, if you remember the story, and the walls of the city of Jericho came down and fell flat. Well, what they had done prior to taking the city, they had really not quite gotten God's direction about what it was that they were supposed to do or how it was that they were supposed to lay siege to the city of Jericho. And they sent in two spies. And as it was, they, there was uh, they had found out that there were two spies from the nation of Israel that had come in to the city of Jericho. And so they were looking for those spies, no doubt that they were going to probably try to get information out of them and put them to death. And Rahab hid the two spies from getting caught by uh, the king and his people, his army, uh, and was able to actually let them out of the city 
through a rope because she lived on the city wall, which I find interesting because if the walls fell flat, God made an incredible provision for her and her family, and obviously her house did not fall flat. Uh, Plus, she also had a crimson or a scarlet cord dangling down from the window of her house. But she was able to let the two spies out, and she told them to go hide in the mountain for three days, and then um, they were safe to return uh, back to the camp of Israel, who had just recently crossed over the River Jordan. I'm not going to go into the full uh, detail of the story in the Scriptures. You can read it in the book of Joshua for yourself. But she acted on faith, and, and she had heard these stories Uh, The stories of how God had crossed, uh, excuse me, parted the Red Sea, bless you, and the nation of Israel had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, those stories had been circulating even in the land of Canaan for many, many years. Matter of fact, it it was 40 years, essentially, from the time that Israel had crossed over the Red Sea on dry land from the time that they had actually crossed over the River Jordan and entered into the Promised Land, uh, that was 40 years later. They were still talking about this. And the people in Jericho were scared to death because they knew that their God was a bigger, more powerful God than any of the false gods. Now, of course, they didn't think they were false, but any of the false gods that they worshipped in the land of Canaan. And during those times, in some respects, I think they had a greater grasp of a reality than we do, I think. But nonetheless, they had this belief that that, um, their god, whatever god that they worshipped, was really ultimately responsible for their prosperity or for their demise, and when they would go to war with another nation, it was not only the two nations at war, but the two gods were at war as well. And so if they had a people that they were going to go to war with whose god was much more powerful than their god, they knew they were in trouble. That was how they thought back then. The stories that circulated, Rahab, who, was, who had the, what's it called, the world's oldest profession, if you want to refer to it. Uh, Rahab, who um, probably heard all the gossip, heard these stories, and instead of acting out of fear, she acted in faith. But let me unpack that a little bit. Is it a sin to be afraid? No. It's not whether you fear or not is really the issue. The real issue is, do you allow your fear to control you in a negative way or in a positive way? Fear is an incredible motivator, if you really stop and think about it. And I think because of her fear, she ran to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She ran to Yahweh. Her king, the king of Jericho, decided that 
he was going to do everything and anything he possibly could to try to put down the nation of Israel, the people of Israel coming and marching against his city. He had heard about these two spies. They had heard that they had taken refuge in the house of Rahab. It seems like nobody then and nobody now can keep a secret. But I'll just let you work with that any way you need to. And rather than trusting in armies, this is out of the Psalms, rather than trusting in horses, which are the cavalry, part of the army, rather than entrusting in kings. Rahab trusted in Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and it's really clear in, in Joshua chapter 2, but as, as we look here at in, in Hebrews 11, it says that by faith she did not perish with those who did not believe, but when she had received... but when she had received the spies with peace. In, in Hebrews 11, it's is interesting to me because the first verse of this chapter says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So to me, that, that's, that's always been a verse that, that to me is really hard to grab a hold of. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Um, it's, it's the Greek word, hypostasis, which really refers to that which you stand under, under, or that which stands underneath you. That would be a better way to describe it. The foundation of which you stand on, the substance of which you stand on. Uh, some commentators have basically said faith is being sure of what you hope for. Faith is being sure of what you hope for because you stand on a firm foundation. Um, it's that which we hope for, that firm foundation that we hope for. Because I read the Bible, and it tells me that in the end that God wins, right? But it doesn't always appear that he's really all even that interested in engaging in the battle today at times. In other words, what I'm saying is that, that as, I, as I read the end of the story and I look around of what is happening in our world today, it, it doesn't really add up. It, it doesn't really, it, it really doesn't make sense. And so I can look at what's going on around me And I can trust in my own understanding. I can trust in the government. I can trust in the goodwill of man, which is usually here one day and gone the next. Or I can trust in the Lord God. And I can trust that although it does not make any sense, there is something, there is a substance. There is that which God has declared, that is the substance, 
there is something that I'm hoping for. So this whole idea of faith and hope is really intertwined because I'm trusting, I don't see it fulfilled, I don't know when it's going to be fulfilled, I know the Bible tells me it's going to be fulfilled. And so all I can do is hope. And I don't know about you, but I don't always like to be in a place of hoping. Because by its very nature, when you are hoping for something, it has not yet been fulfilled. You ever feel that when you pray for people? And you almost... How else do I describe this? You almost feel like the hope just starts going down the drain as you're even praying. And, and, and part of that is spiritual warfare, I think. And at times, I th- I th- you, you start thinking, why am I even praying for this? I have things I've been praying about now for years. They have not yet been fulfilled. But I have hope, sometimes more than others, sometimes greater than others. But I have hope that God is faithful. I have hope that God knows what he's doing. I'm really glad that God knows what he's doing because most of the time I have no idea. I really don't. And... The way that life unfolds often baffles me. If I were going to write the script, I would have written it differently. That's part of why I stopped watching television, because I feel like it's such a ripoff, because it's so far removed from the lives that we truly live. Your mileage may vary on that one. But I have a faith. I have a confidence. And I, I, think, I think that, that, that word confidence really, really comes in here. It, it, the, the Revised Standard Version says it is a conviction, the second part of this verse. It is a conviction of things that are not seen. I have a conviction. I have a sense of confidence. I have not seen it, but I have the assurance of what God has said to me in his word. And in some respects, I have the assurance of what I believe the Holy Spirit has told me personally. That this will one day come to pass. And those are the hardest because sometimes you wonder, did you really hear correctly? You really wonder, will it not come to pass today? Or maybe I really didn't hear what I thought I heard or maybe I just heard what I wanted to hear. And all these head trips... That, that you go through, and then you start to wonder if it was the, if, if it was the, the pizza Sibelis and not the voice of God, you know? And, and you know, it, it, it becomes this struggle to remain in a place of confidence, to remain in a, in a place of, of hope, in a place of trusting, in a place of exercising faith, because often it is... And gosh, I hate to say this to you, but often it is faith is just like hope in that it is this idea of holding on to something that has not yet been fulfilled. Especially when it's something bad. 
And you're hoping, you're praying, you're trusting that God's going to turn it around. And even though in those times of prayer, you might think, why am I doing? Why am I bothering with this? Why, why am I doing this? Let me encourage you to keep at it. Keep at it. Because if the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain, and a mustard seed is just this little itty-bitty seed, if the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain, then I think, quite frankly, we not, may not be into moving mountains, but I think that little bit of faith, that little ember, prophet Isaiah talked about where it talked about the Messiah where a smoking flax he will not quench. It's also repeated for us in the book of Luke. That little ember of faith, just try to fan that into a flame. And often it is, all I can do is just put it out there before God and say, here it is, this is all I got. This is all I have. But would you please, please, please answer my prayer? And to go forward from that. What I love about Rahab is she just didn't believe, but she was given an opportunity. She saw an opportunity somehow. I don't know how these two spies ended up in her house. But she saw an opportunity and she took action. The thing about Rahab, what I, what I love about her, is that, that she's one of the only women here in the, in the Hall of Faith. Not the only, but one of the only women in the Hall of Faith. She's a prostitute. And she's in the Hall of Faith. She's also in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. She's David's great-great-grandmother. I don't know if you knew that. Very, very important person in the lineage of our Lord. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where I won't take the time to turn here, but I threw it in my notes so I could just read it to you. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That should be the verse by which we view the life of Rahab. That should be the verse by which we view each other's lives. And that should be the verse by which we all view our own lives. Particularly if you have a past that has been problematic. That's a nice way to say it, huh? Do you allow your past to affect your present, therefore affect your future? Or do you claim that In Christ, we are a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, old things have become anew. Bless you. And, and, and there are times I still, I, you know, even, as, even the, my past as a Christian, because I'll let you in a little secret, I'm not perfect. You're going to let me in a little secret, you already know, right? Okay, anyway. And neither are you. Um, but sometimes we let our past beat ourselves up. God knew exactly what he was doing, ladies, when he gave you the children that he gave you. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew that he would equip you. Not only back then, but today as well. Even when they're out of the house. And some some of us at times we thank God, the creator of heaven and earth, that they are, right? There's nothing like being an empty nester. But at the same time, I miss the sounds of, that, of those feet running around the house. Well, we weren't perfect, but the reality is all things, old things have passed away. All things have become new. And the thing is, too, is that, and, and I, what I want to share is that we always have today. We always have today. We always have today to, 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 in a sense, to begin anew. In a sense, to attempt to, to, to start a, a, a better chapter. A new way of relating with our kids. And, and so I think it's important to remember that with, 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 with Rahab. In, in Joshua chapter 2, I'm just going to cover a couple of verses here. It says in verse, referring to the two spies, okay, so I'm kind of jumping in here at the middle of the story. It says, the two spies were up on the roof, and it says, now before they lay down, verse 8, She, that is Rahab, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the territory of you has fallen on us, or excuse me, the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. So I find this fascinating because she didn't have a Bible to read. She didn't have a Bible to read. But she tells the two spies, I I know that the Lord has given you the land. Notice this capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. She's using the proper name of God here. She says, "I, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us. All the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted. It sounds to me like she probably didn't have a whole lot of business going on. Because of this. And in verse 10 of of Joshua chapter 2, it says, For we have heard how the Lord, Yahweh, dried up the water of the Red Sea for, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were, this were on the other side of the Jordan, 
who were on the other side of the Jordan, it says, Sihon and Og, who you utterly destroyed. You see, before Israel came into the promised land, they kind of had to fight their way to the place where they were on the eastern side of the Jordan and got ready to cross over to the western side of the Jordan. And the two Amorite kings came out to meet them in battle. And the, uh, the Lord God gave those two kings and that armies uh, into the hands of Israel. And they utterly defeated them. And so Jericho had heard this. So they had heard the stories of this nation called Israel for the past 40 years. They'd heard these incredible stories. Maybe some of them didn't believe the stories. And, and it, it, it fascinates me that they had been given a witness for 40 years, and yet they did not repent. You ever think of that? And so because of that, they become the very first nation that God says, you're going to go in there and you obliterate them. But they had heard she had heard what God had done 40 years later. And, 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 and the actions of God has demonstrated the power of God. The actions of God demonstrated the power of God, which Rahab had a choice. Do I give my life to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or do I trust in my king who will stand up against these people? And then Joshua 11, it says, or Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did they remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for Yahweh your God, he is God in heaven and above and on earth beneath. Do you recognize that that's a profession of faith? Now, it may not be the sinner's prayer, if you will, but she's declaring that, that uh, your God, Yahweh, your God, using the word Elohim, Hebrew word Elohim. The first time the word Elohim is used is in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. What's interesting about, I don't want to get too deep into this, but what's interesting about the Hebrew word Elohim is it's plural. It's plural. Because it's the plural form of the Hebrew word El. Remember some of the names of God like El Shaddai being one? It, Elohim is a plural form of the word El. And also the word Eloah, which I don't want to jump into that. But nonetheless, it, it's interesting to me because not only did she recognize the proper name of God, but she also understood describing him as a God in the plural. What's interesting about this is this idea of describing God in the plural uh, really opens up this, this understanding of this idea of a unity of one God yet allowing for a plurality of persons found within the unity. I need to say that again, don't I? Good, we're awake though. Okay, um, this word Elohim refers to a unity of the one God, yet allowing for the plural, plurality of persons found within the one God. Does that sound like a contradiction? 
It should sound like a contradiction. Unity within one, but allowing for more than one within the persons of the one God. You see, that, that's, that's typical of how Hebrews think. You know what's interesting about this Hebrew word Elohim? It is not found, the concept plural or unity within one, even the concept is not found in other semantic languages. For instance, like it's not found in Aramaic, which would be a semantic language, a language that's on the same base as, as uh, Hebrew is. It's a word that is unique to Hebrew culture because it's a unique theological understanding of who God is. Unity within the one God, allowing for a plurality of persons within the one God. She recognizes not only the name of God, but the nature of God. And that that fascinates me because she did not have a Bible to read. Now, had some of the Bible been written by then? I'll leave that one with you. How's that? It had been declared. It may not have been written down yet. Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? I believe Moses did. He had recently passed away. So I'll let you do the math on that one. Okay. And then she says to the spies, now therefore I beg you, swear to me by Yahweh, since I have shown you kindness, that you will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that I have, and deliver our lives from death. She stepped out on faith and recognized that if her life and the life of her family was going to be delivered, it was going to have to be a deliverance of faith at the request of those who were going to actually come in and take over her entire city. Now, nobody knew that the walls of Jericho were going to fall flat at that point, right? That's something that happens later. And then she receives the promise. When she says, and it shall be when the, verse 14, it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. She had a future and she had a hope. She had a future and she had a hope. And she understood that her future and her hope was not in trusting in the king of the city that she grew up in. But it was trusting in the Lord God and the, uh, the agency of the work of the Lord God through his people, Israel. See, it wasn't just this mental thing. She, it, it, all of this really had to do with the nuts and bolts of life as well. In James chapter 2, right around verse 25, but I may back up.
the discussion in the book of James, at least in the second chapter, backing up to verse 18, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. But do you, not, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then skipping down to verse 25, it says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot, or other versions would say Rahab the prostitute, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith without works is dead also. And I think this is really important for us to grab a hold of because I've, I've talked with people and, and I don't know how else to say this. Um, so I'll, I'll get old Southern Baptists on you for a second. They talk a good religion. You've heard that, right? They talk a good religion. And usually it's war stories of what they did way back then. And those stories are important. But they only really have relevance to what you're doing today. And and they'll, they'll talk a good faith. And, and they'll, they'll talk about how, how great God is, but you never see it demonstrated in their lives. Now, of course, I'm not talking about doing it here. I'm talking about my last church, of course, right? But it's one thing to believe, and, and, and then, of course, then you, you, you have people that, they're a secret believer. Oh, he's just a secret believer. He believes in the Lord. He's just a secret believer. To me, that's almost like an oxymoron. Jumbo shrimp, right? You know, and how do we demonstrate our faith? How do we live out our faith? I I remember one time somebody wanted to get baptized, and we were doing a baptism, and but they didn't want to do it when we were doing a baptism. They wanted to do it at a different time, different location. Let's go somewhere and kind of hide and dunk me under the water and say a few nice things and everything's good, right? And while I do not believe that baptism saves you, all right? Do I have to say that again? While I do not believe that baptism saves you, It's kind of this way of, if you will, demonstrating physically what has already happened spiritually in your life. And that demonstrating physically is really this way of kind of sealing the deal. Now, do you have to get baptized to be saved? No, you don't. 
Just making sure you understand that. It is by grace we are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. But then once we are saved, what I look and hope for in a person's life when they are converted is is that they are now willing to follow Jesus in such a way that they will demonstrate their faith by their works. And and I, I probably have used this illustration more times than I should, but I'm going to do it again. Did all of you trust in the chairs that you sat in this morning? You trusted that they would hold you up? I told you about the story. I was on stage sitting on a stool and playing the guitar during at church one time, years ago, different church, obviously. And, and it was a, the stool held me fine, but when I went up after the service to get my guitar, I looked at the, the, the supports of the stool, and almost all of them were almost completely out of the joint. And that would have been really embarrassing to have fallen on, have a stool. But I trusted in that thing. How do we demonstrate our trust? We sat down in our chairs. We sat down in our chairs. We sealed the deal of our faith, if you will. We showed that our faith was not just something that we talked about, but it was something that we lived. Talk all the religion you want. I want to see it lived. What is it that the Spirit of God is actually doing in your life today? Because as what James tells us, for as the body without the Spirit is dead, so when we die, our spirit leaves our body, right? And it's just a body. Spirit's gone. Spirit's gone into the presence of God. So faith without works is dead also. In other words, what James is saying is, is, is if your faith is just something that you talk about but nothing that you ever do anything with, you're just like a dead carcass. That's what he's essentially saying to us. Rahab demonstrated her faith. She trusted in God. She took the action that she was able to take. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if the, the, the two guys ended up at her house or if she went out after them, but once she had them in her home, she cared for them. She hid them. She protected them. She was a part of that which God was doing in furthering the work of the uh, uh, conquering of the land of Canaan. She was participating in God's work in God's promised land. And it's really no different with Rahab than it is with any of you. We're called by faith to participate in fulfilling God's promises when we pray 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then when we avail ourselves by the Spirit of God to go forth and become part of the work of God in thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's going to look very different for you than it is for the person sitting behind you or in front of you. It's very individualized. It's not my job to figure out a ministry for you. It really is. I don't believe it is. You know, or fire me and get somebody up here who believes it is, and then you know you can have all kinds of programs that you know, hoops you can jump through. Ministry, the participation of the work of God, the furtherance of the kingdom of God, the living out of our faith is breathed by the Spirit of God in your lives. It is led by the Spirit of God in your lives. As you believe, as you trust, as you have confidence and have this hope, and, and you spend time with God, he'll lead you besides the still waters. He'll lead you in the green pastures. He will lead you to walk in righteousness' sake. And that will be manifest as your works will be indicators of your faith. Amen?